Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article explore it then follow the links and see where it takes us john what do you got well if they can't tell from your slightly unenthused tone when you just handed off the word play to me uh i'm gonna go ahead and say that this is gonna be a rough time (laughs) uh eric do you want to do you want to take a stab? Do you want to take a, a, a shot in the dark about okay. what I have? I, I'll well, give it three guesses. The first two don't okay. count. All right. I'll give my first guess is one that I'm hoping is not what your article is. <laughs> a small town with no people. It is not that. Okay. Um, is it a moth? <laughs> it is a. It is. Caria Spilades. <laughs> A genus of the moth in the family Geometridae. Wow. That's the end of the article as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so, um, Eric, um, what, um, do you, I'm throwing the ums in up front because Uh, I have a feeling that this is going to be harsh. This is going to be hard to do. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Let me guess. Well, Let me guess. Small all, gonna, town. Yes, it is. All right. It's gonna be hard to pronounce too, but oh, I'm gonna God. give it a shot. Okay. Evki Tufan Bailey. That didn't sound too bad. I mean, I, I can't yeah. see the word yet, <laughs> but but uh, Evsi is a village in the district of Tufan Bailey, uh-huh. Adanya Province, Turkey. Okay. And that is my article. All of my article. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, not even population in this one. Didn't even it's matter. It's like, you know what? Who There's, cares? <laughs> I'm the only person in this town, and I'm the one writing this article, <laughs> so it probably doesn't matter. Um, well, uh... So we got places or... <sighs> mods. Mods. <laughs> I hate. We, I hate. <laughs> what are we? We could always try to turn this into a game and try to f- get somewhere. Get to a an article, like a specific article. Yeah, we could try to take this moth and make it go into its chrysalis and emerge mm. a beautiful butterfly, or we could a get, slightly get more interesting caterpillar. Mothman prophecies. <laughs> or that should be doable. Or something. But that would probably be doable. Yeah, we should be able to do that. You think? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Go on over to Ch-Aria Spill Eights C-H-A-R-I-A S-P-I-L-A-T-E Yes Spiritualady Ch-Aria Spill Eights It's just that There's also a Formulae one What? What do you mean? There was a there's another one. No. That. Uh, oh, 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 yeah, Chari- Form- yeah. Formosaria. Formosaria is the only species that there is in Article 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is. <laughs> yes. Wow. So here we are, Eric. Charius Pilates. Here we are. Charius Pilates. Yeah, Charius Pilates. <laughs> and we have to get from here to uh, Mothman Prophecy. Or maybe, or, or better yet, Mothra. That'd be good. Ooh, that's a good one, yeah. It should be easy enough, right? We probably just hit up the moth, the genius of the moth family. Yeah, and then uh, Day. maybe see in popular culture. Or, I don't know. There's okay. got to be a way to get to it. Well, we're going to start by going to moth. All right. Which I think we have talked about before on this show, possibly multiple times. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we have. So, in case you don't remember... They're a group of insects related to butterflies, but they ain't butterflies. They're ugly. Uh, 
and there are approximately 160,000 species, which is how we keep coming across another one, um, <laughs> and many of which are yet to be described. Most are nocturnal, but there are also crepuscular and diurnal species. All right. Yeah. They start out as caterpies, and then they become metapods, and then they turn into mothras. And then they are also very attracted to legit. 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 <laughs> they are attracted to They're legit. legit. <laughs> All right. Let's see. How to get to Mothra. Well, we could go to Sea Oth also and go Ooh, to where yeah. it says Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We that could do that. True. That's It's right there. It's literally... Literally in God, the next article. article. There, there it is. Okay, well. That was... Oh, we did it. Yeah. We're, we made it. Now, we, I mean... We can just we kick could, back, we could, relax. We got to Mothra. But we could also try to continue two Mothman prophecies, get both of them in. I think we can do this. All right. But we can spend a little time with Mothra. Oh, we yeah, absolutely. Let's let's milk this uh, Mothra. Because um, Mothra's a good place phrasing. to be. I don't want to milk them up. <laughs> okay. That doesn't sound that's good. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> that sounds, that's, uh, <laughs> that's wrong. It's not a juice I want to encounter. No, no, no. We, okay. We're not drinking any <laughs> Mothra milk. That's, uh... Yeah, that probably... No. I mean, that's probably poisonous for one thing. Well, yeah. It also I'm wouldn't sure. be very tasty. <laughs> well, mm. it is a kaiju monster. First mm. appeared in Toho's 1961 film, Mothra. How about it? So it did not first appear in Godzilla. Um, it was its own thing. Yeah. It was a completely separate franchise, and but then it became its uh, most often recurring character in a, the Godzilla franchise. The name Mothra is a suffixation of Ra to the <laughs> English word Moth. Wow. <laughs> Minds have been blown by this podcast. <laughs> uh, Man, I can't even wrap my brain around that one. <sighs> Since the Japanese language does not have dental fricatives, it is approximated Mosura in Japanese. Hmm. And why did the Japanese create a word they couldn't say? <laughs> the know. suffix ra isn't a suffix as far as I know. I don't think so. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I really do have to question the logic and... It's an invented suffix, really, I guess. Yeah, it's kind a suffix of. because you made it one. Yeah. You made R-A at the end of the word. That is a suffix, and you made it happen. <laughs> well, okay. The Ra suffix follows the precedent sent by Gaji-Ra, which in turn is derived from Kurji-Ra, the Japanese word for whale to indicate mm. the character's enormous size. Man, we really butchered that one. <laughs> yeah. Turning Kujira into Godzilla. Kujira into Gojira into Godzilla. <laughs> okay. What's the name of this movie? Gojira. Oh, Godzilla. That's good. <laughs> I think it's like, it's just like, like, what's the name of this capital that you have here? Mumbai. Oh, Bombay. Great. <laughs> like... <laughs> Hey, what country is this? Nippon. Oh, like, oh, Japan. Great. America <laughs> really has a great tradition of just like slapping people on the back like, oh, hey, that's great. I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> we really do. Oh, man. <laughs> Canada, you're awesome. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, it, it's pretty bad. Um, so Mothra's iconic character design is that of a giant brown caterpillar with blue eyes or a colorful imago from that or form rather that combines attributes of moths and butterflies along mm. with fictional embellishments such as chewing mouthparts, ocelli, and talons. She is typically depicted on screen via puppetry, <laughs> a radio animatronic prop on wheels for its caterpillar form and a marionette with overhead wires moving the wings and the body as an imago for which a citation is needed <laughs> in more recent films it has been rendered as CGI as well what recent films 
don't know. <laughs> I wonder if the new isn't wait. Okay. The new Godzilla film. Um the sequel to the recent Godzilla film. Isn't yes. that one going to have Mothra in it? Or am I mistaken? Is it a some, something no, I think else? I'm right. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what's going on. Oh, wait. To be maybe one. I'm... Wait. Am I confusing that with Godzilla versus King Kong? Is that a thing? Well, then it would be versus King Kong. Yeah, but, but I, I'm trying to think if what the piece of... Uh, oh, wait. Here we go. Here we go. Here oh, we go. Oh, oh, it's down here? Okay. Uh, appearances. Films. Godzilla 2, 2018... Uh, Legendary pictures. Confirmed that the rights to King Ghidorah, Mothra, and Rodan from the Toho Studios films have been acquired and that the characters may appear in future franchise installments. Okay. Awesome. So King Ghidorah is going to be sweet. (laughs) Freaking three-headed dragon. Heck yeah. I am happy with the new Godzilla franchise. They're, They're trying good things. They're trying better things than... Uh, to- Toho Films was doing, such as Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. <laughs> that was a pretty good one. I mean, Space Godzilla was awesome and all, but actually, I think I saw that one. That one was that was an interesting film. <laughs> oh man, all these Godzilla monsters, all these Godzilla games, all these video games. <laughs> oh man, a Godzilla video game, like a modern one. Oh, there was a really it good says one. There's one here made like a couple years ago. One that I remember from being reviewed on X-Play was Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, hmm. which was an Xbox game that had you played as Godzilla or as Mothra or as whatever uh, Toho giant monster you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the thing that made it really fun was that you played in cities and everything around you was entirely destroyable. Unlike nice. a lot of video games at the time where it was like <laughs> after a while you encountered objects you couldn't destroy right. or crush everything. And I mean everything in the entire <laughs> city you could just like destroy as you fought the other person. It was so much fun. Nice. Yeah. I feel like it could be cool to have a game from both sides like being Godzilla or mm-hmm. another monster destroying a city and see how far you get there or, is one I played another like, one I forget what it was even the other side being the humans trying to take down Godzilla that could even that be, a be a fun a really good game multiplayer game because one person being Godzilla like maybe like uh, everybody joins the room and then one person is randomly selected to be Godzilla mm-hmm. and then you have to take down the city before the other players team up to take it down. That'd be a really fun game. That'd be really good. Maybe. And I think that there could be like a good, almost like, uh, I want to say like a Metal Gear Solid piece. If you wanted to get really intense with it, you could do the like mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker type thing where you literally like, you build a base of resistance and you start trying to like gain like... As, the, as you progress through missions in the game, you progress through like diplomatic talks with other nations, uh, and you, nice. you secure resources and like technology mm-hmm. developers and scientists to help you develop new weapons against Godzilla to try uh, to fight yeah. him. And um, like ultimately, like as the developmental arc of the game goes forward, you you start uh, really like uh, deve- like finding ways to subdue Godzilla, but you never really deal with him. And you can take the game in multiple ways. You probably like resolve the conflict with Godzilla, right? Like find like it, it, you could like take it in two different ways. You end up being like you could do the communicative arc. It became kind of like a Mass Effect game where you could be like mm-hmm. good or bad. Uh, you could either be like you could go dark side and just find a way to outright kill him, <laughs> or you could go light side and find a way to like talk to Godzilla and understand <laughs> what Godzilla's intentions are, and that he's just kind of a clumsy oaf of a giant fat right. dinosaur that comes out of the ocean and accidentally wrecks three cities, but is trying to protect Earth. Yeah, he means well because he knows what's out there. He came from out there, right? From beyond the stars, <laughs> he knows all the b- giant bad space Godzillas that are going to come. <laughs> He's just trying to defend the place. Dang it! <laughs> oh, and you know what would be even more fun? The scenario that I mentioned. What? You have one match. One person's Godzilla. Uh-huh. The rest of the people trying to bring him down. And um, then the next match, the lowest scoring player becomes another uh, kaiju. Becomes like Mothra. Yeah. And then there's two of them trying to take down the city. 
and fighting each other because for they this, yeah, one of them naturally, has to survive. Right. And then because uh, if you the, did that right, like the people take, trying to take down the kaiju's would ultimately be entirely removed from whatever the kaiju was doing because <laughs> the kaiju would be dealing on things uh, with things on such a much a much more grand scale yeah they wouldn't even notice the little tiny people running around like <laughs> some people shooting at them would not distract the kaijus at all in real life yeah and that's the way it would be in the game too like yeah even if you add another kaiju to the mix it would make it that much more fun because you have two <laughs> people then dealing with a completely different like objective and set yeah. of circumstances from the little guys and like you could set up the world to have like different like areas where you could find interesting stuff to help you out and you know like if you run over to this building across the city there's you know I don't know some crazy weapon that the government was working on or something I don't know yeah for some other like, reason and yeah. then you just like recommission it and be like can we get this back online <laughs> can we finish this project yeah and the government's like I don't know <laughs> it might be too dangerous but like yeah there could be like you could have like a whole bunch of those different like scenarios hidden throughout the city mm. for players to just discover yeah. and be like oh I can defeat him this way I can, you know, act like push him into the ocean with this thing right. or something. It might not even know? be like a killing measure. It might just be yeah. like, get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Throw him back in the can water. Ac- I can hook him to a rocket and launch him into space. That sounds that good. That works. <laughs> that sounds like an option. No, but uh, I really want to play this game now. That's the problem <laughs> with this this whole thing. It's the problem with ideas. It's true. They're contagious. Uh, so Mothra is second only to Godzilla in total Toho film appearances making it uh, the uh, second most popular monster they have. Mm. Uh, In addition to flight, in her larval form, she is able to spit streams of silk webbing at opponents. The silk is very strong and can easily bind opponents into a state of immobility. In larval form, she can also bite opponents and hang on with her powerful mandibles inflicting Mm. a serious amount of pain. In her Imago form, Mothra can shed massive amounts of reflective scales which redirect or neutralize beams fired by other monsters. Hmm. A technique she utilized to great effect when she teamed up with Batra. (laughs) (laughs) She can also emit lightning bolts from her wings. Of course she can. Because why not? And force opponents back with gale force winds. Finally, both of Mothra's forms display high levels of intelligence, and it is displayed in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, that Mothra is able to understand and communicate with other monsters. Mm. So, interestingly, in 1964, there was a film entitled Mothra vs. Godzilla, and then in 1992, there was a film entitled Godzilla vs. Mothra. (laughs) They switched up which one is the protagonist. (laughs) Yep, yep. Destroy all monsters. That sounds like a fun one. I feel like it would be. That just had to be like the humans just being like, enough of this. <laughs> Let's get rid of them. There's too many monsters. We need to destroy them all. <laughs> wow, there is uh, quite a few monsters in that one. There's also a TV series called Godzilla Island. <laughs> where all the kaiju go to play when they're not saving the worlds. <laughs> And then there is an NES game called Godzilla, Monster of Monsters. Wonder of Wonder, Monster of Monsters. (laughs) God took a Zilla by the hand. (laughs) Took him from ocean, stomped him on cities. Okay. (laughs) There's also a Destroy All Monsters Melee game on Xbox. Destroy All... Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. That that one sounds really... I really want to get that again. Mm We'll get like an emulator for it. That'd be really awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure where we can go to try to get to our prophetic visions of moth, moths, moths. Well, I feel like there was a link to film somewhere. Of moths and men. <laughs> there's got to be a link to movies. Yeah, or there's there's film, moth or film. Uh, um, well... Yeah, I mean, I guess we could go to just uh, Mothra Film we and see could. if we can go to film, or like just pick any of these films, really. Yeah, because really, we're yeah, we're at, we're not in a movie right now. We're in a yeah. Let's go Mothra Film. Well, I don't know if that helped. <laughs> 
Anyway, while we're looking for film, the link, I want to tell you a little bit about this plot. Yes. An expedition to an irradiated island brings civilization in contact with a primitive native culture. When one sensationalist entrepreneur tries to exploit the islanders, their ancient deity arises in a taliation. <laughs> In waters off Infant Island, a presumed uninhabited site for Reliskin atomic tests, the Danigenyu Maru is caught and run aground in the turbulence of a typhoon. A rescue party following the storm finds four sailors alive and strangely unafflicted with radiation sickness, which they attribute to the juice provided by the island natives. Oh, somebody did milk Mothra. Oh, snap. <laughs> The story is broken by a tenacious reporter, Zenichiro, also known as Bulldog or Zenchan, Fukuda Sakai, and photographer Michi Hanamura Kagawa, who infiltrate the hospital examining the survivors. The Reliskin Embassy responds by co-sponsoring a joint Japanese Reliskin scientific expedition to Infant Island led by capitalist Clark Nelson. <laughs> Uh, also on the expedition are radiation specialist Dr. Harada, linguistic anthropologist Shinchi Chujo, and stowaway reporter Fukuda. Chujo has studied the creatures of islands in the area and ascertained that one of the key hieroglyphs is, in their written language, a radiant cross-shaped star translates as Mothra. <laughs> There, the team discover a vast jungle of mutated flora, a fleeting native tribe, and two young women only 12 inches tall who save Chujo from being eaten by a vampire plant. Uh, the Shabjin, or small beauties, as Fukuda dubs them, wish their island to be spared from further atomic testing. Acknowledging this message, the team returns and conceals these events from the public. Nelson, however, returns to the island with a crew of henchmen and ducks the girls, <laughs> gunning down several natives who try to save them. Classic capitalist. Yep. <laughs> While Nelson profits off of a secret fairies show in Tokyo featuring the girls singing, both they and the island natives beseech their god Mothra, a giant egg, for help. <laughs> Fukuda, Hanamura, and Chujo communicate with the young woman via telepathy. They express conviction that Mothra will come to their aid and warn that good people are sure to be hurt. Meanwhile, Fukuda's newspaper has accused Nelson of holding the girls against their will. Nelson denies the charge and files a libel suit against the paper. Meanwhile, wow, there's a lot of like plot happening before this <laughs> egg even hatches. Meanwhile, the island egg hatches, oh there it is, uh, to reveal a gigantic caterpillar, which begins swimming in the Pacific Ocean towards Japan. <laughs> Caterpillar destroys a cruise ship and survives a napalm attack on a beeline path for Tokyo. The Reliskin Embassy, however, defends Nelson's property rights over the girls, ignoring any connection to the monster. Wow. <laughs> Mothra finally arrives on the Japanese mainland, impervious to the barrage of weaponry directed at it, ultimately building a cocoon in the ruins of Tokyo Tower. Public feeling turns against Nelson, and he is ordered to release the girls. He flees incognito to Reliska, where Mothra, newly hatched and in an imago form, immediately resumes her search. Police scour New Kirk City for <laughs> Nelson as Mothra lays waste to the metropolis. Ultimately, Nelson is killed in a shootout with police, which is weird, uh, and the girls are assigned to Chujo's care. Church bells begin to ring. And sunlight illuminates the cross atop the steeple with radiant beams reminding Chujo and Hanamura of Mothra's unique symbol and the girls' voices. Chujo hits upon a novel way to attract Mothra to an airport runway. The girls are returned amid salutations of Sayonara, and Mothra flies back to Infant Island. <laughs> so that all resolves rather nicely, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty quick. Like, most of that was set up, and then, like, in yeah. three sentences, the entire movie resolves, and they're like... Sayonara. <laughs> okay. Bye, I guess. <laughs> um, so apparently when it was released in the United States in 1962, it was on a double bill with the Three Stooges in orbit. That must have been a strange uh, outing. Yeah, I'm not seeing any specific links to, like, film or anything. This but is actually going to be hard. There are a 
couple other options. There's Columbia Pictures, mm-hmm. which inevitably leads to some kind of film. Possibly even one of... Maybe that was the production company that did Mothman Prophecies. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, there's also Letterbox down here mm-hmm. and Anamorphic. Mm-hmm. So those would definitely lead to you know film because they deal directly with the film, content of know. film. So we're guaranteed to hit at least the overall genre of, of film, film soon with one of these links. So let's try Columbia Pictures just in right. case. Okay. Uh, industry, film, boom. We have a link to film. There we go. Okay. But do we want since to, Columbia is one of the big six, it's possible. It's possible that they did some things. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna see a list of Columbia Pictures films, and then just Control F some math, man. <laughs> and they're not the people. <laughs> they're not it. They're not it. They're not the ones. They did make Hell Island, though. <laughs> and the Hell Cat. Hmm. What the hell <laughs> was Columbia Pictures thinking? Anyway. All right. Film. On the film. Okay. Is there a list of films? Just a big list of films. We might be best off to go to something Maybe like... genres. Film industry or film genres. Yeah, one of those two. Um, let's see. List, there is list of films. There is an article. List of films. Just so you know. I feel okay, like... Okay, well, in that case... <laughs> I think I'm that we have. To see. I, we got it. We got to go <laughs> just to see like how micro our scroll bar becomes on the right of our screens. List of films. Oh wow, this is okay. So this is like broken down. Oh, lists of films. Lists of films. Not the list. This, this is a list of lists. <laughs> okay. All right. So th- this is still good. This is something. Um. Okay. Uh, shooting location. Do you remember what the shooting location? <laughs> <sighs> I, I could I could probably get the decade right. I think it was nineties. Um, uh, maybe. I feel like it was mm, probably in the nineties. Um, who was it made by? Uh, <laughs> not entirely sure. As it turns um, out, there is not a list of English language films. Nor is there a list of American films. See, I'm trying to think of something specific about... Uh, list of film by genre. We can do it that way. List of films by country of origin. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's like... Because there's like a lot of super specific... Lists like, in here. You know, like... Uh, yeah... Like, list of films based on the Bible. Was it based on a book? Yes, but what kind of book? We have crime books. (laughs) List of films based on crime books. Lists of films about the kibitz. (laughs) (laughs) What? So, yeah. Um, List of films based on St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Uh, List of films about the Romanovs. Hmm. I was trying to. Is it a list of films featuring the Salvation Army? <laughs> <laughs> Would it be considered like a noir film? Yeah. Is it more of a thriller or but a is, horror? I feel like it's a thriller. Is thri- thriller on here? It's based on something, though, right? I feel like it's based on a book, but I. Well, what kind of book? Can't guarantee. Um, pretty sure it's in the 90s, though. So, I mean... That That's, I mean, the 90s is a lot of things, though. 90s is a lot yeah. of films. We want to keep it to a more narrow <laughs> thing than time, because time 
He's an illusion. <laughs> and I know it's not one of the highest grossing films, so that counts that out. Um, Is it short fiction? No. I don't believe so. Um, Would it be a crime uh, book? I probably... Maybe? I'm going to check it. All right. List of films based on crime book. Gonna go ahead and... Moth. Oh, it was Mothers. <laughs> Rats. Nada. Not quite. Coming up dry. Ooh, okay, there's an overall list of fiction works made into feature films. Maybe. Yes. Uh, no. Mm. Not, not a thing. Well, I guess maybe. Uh, Lists of... I'm going to do lists of films by genre. Then list of thriller films. Okay, it is not based on a book. <laughs> then list of thriller That's, films no of the 1990s. Um, thriller films. Okay. And it's not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it is not Maybe a... it was the 2000s. I'm going to look at thriller films of the 2000s. <laughs> and I... Nope, not that. It's Maybe not a... it's not a thriller. <laughs> going to look at list of... <laughs> Skinhead films, list of uh, my, my, list of mystery films. Hmm. Not that. It's not a mystery film. List of uh, neo noir titles. Maybe that might be. Uh... Nope. Let's <laughs> uh, see. List of film noir titles. Maybe. Nope. <laughs> Man. You think that being in the realm of film, you would be able to <laughs> easily like careen over this, navigate to, to the one. exact point? Uh, I guess it would help if I knew more about the movie, other than the title. <laughs> I know it stars Richard Gere. I know he's in it. List of films starring Richard Gere. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. If we know it's Richard Gere, why don't we navigate to a film we also know has Ooh, Richard Gere? Okay, okay. We're in the genres. Okay. All we gotta do is like romantic list of romantic comedies. comedies. Yeah. <laughs> and then find the the one with the hooker in the heart of gold. One of several uh, Julie Roberts movies. Yep. Uh, where is the romantic comedy? Under R. Okay, where where are we here? I'm on, I'm still on lists of films. You go to lists of by genres. Film lists of films. Lists by of genre. films by genre. Okay, so this is the category lists of films by genre. Okay. Right. All right. So, uh, yeah, romantic comedy. Okay. So on to Pretty Woman. Uh, is it in here? Pretty Woman. In the list of romantic comedy films. Yep. Oh, 1990. I could have sworn it was in the 80s. Mm. All right. All right. Now we got Richard Gere. We do got Richard Gere. We got things into 12th gear. <laughs> we are in top gear now. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So it's not in that. His top mentioned movies. <laughs> um, nope. There we go. There it is. It. Uh, Mothman prophecies. Mothman prophecies. <laughs> we did it. Yay, we got there. Supernatural thriller horror. Wow. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> Surprised that wasn't an option. From 2002. Oh, wow. 2002. Okay. Almost the 90s. It was, ba it was barely the 2000s. Yeah. Based on it was based on a book. It is. Ugh. Oh my word! That you know what we can do. Me. We can we can fix this. <laughs> we can put a link. <laughs> That's true. We have the technology. <laughs> list of films based on list of fiction works made into films. Well, oh, maybe wait. Uh -uh. Maybe the book it was based on was not called The Mothman Prophecies. Oh no, it says of, of the same name. Yeah, there's really no excuse. <laughs> this should have been there. 
Um, and it straight up wasn't. List of fiction works. Yeah. Unless it's a short. Short. I checked book. that list. You did? I think. Maybe. Fiction work. List of fiction works made into feature films K through R. Okay. And then we go to Moth. Nope. Yeah. Not there at all. I know. <laughs> Isn't it frustrating? <laughs> it should be. It is a film based on a fiction work. Okay. Well, it's based on a 1975 book of the same name by parapsychologist and 14? 14? 14. 14. 14. I don't know. It says 14, though. <laughs> That's what it says if you read it. 14 author. 14 author John Keel. Uh, the film stars Richard Gere as John Klein, a reporter who researches the legend of the Mothman. <laughs> the film claims to be based on actual events that occurred between December, or November 1966 and December 1967 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Okay, so it's about newspaper columnist John Klein, who is Richard Gere, and his wife Mary, who is Deborah Messing. They are involved in an accident when Mary swerves to avoid a black flying figure. John survives the crash unscathed, but Mary is hospitalized. After Mary dies of an unrelated brain tumor, John discovers mysterious drawings of the creature that she had created prior to the night of the accident. Two years later, John becomes lost in West Virginia and inexplicably finds himself in Point Pleasant hundreds of miles off his route. Driving in the middle of the night, his car breaks down, and he walks to a nearby house to get help. The owner, Gordon Smallwood, played by Will Patton, I'm not familiar with him, uh, reacts violently to John's appearance and holds him at gunpoint. Local police officer Connie Mills, played by Laura Linney, diffuses the situation while Gordon explains that this is the third consecutive night John has knocked on his door asking to use a phone, much to John's confusion. John stays at a local motel and considers how he ended up so far from his original destination. Officer Mills mentions to John that many strange things have been occurring in the past few weeks and that people report seeing a large winged creature like a giant moth with red eyes. She also tells John about a strange dream she had in which the words, Wake up, number 37, were spoken to her. While conversing with Gordon one day, it is revealed to John that he had heard voices from his sink telling him that, in Denver, 99 will die. While discussing the day's events at at a local diner, John notices that the news is showing a story on an airplane crash in Denver that killed all 99 passengers aboard. The next night, Gordon frantically explains that he had met the voices in his head, a being named Ingrid Cold, played by Bill Lang. Later that night, Gordon calls John and says that he is standing with a character named Idrid Ingrid Cold. While John keeps Cold on the line, Officer Mills checks on Gordon. Cold answers John's questions, convincing him that he is a supernatural being. This episode starts a string of supernatural calls to John's motel room. One tells him that there will be a great tragedy on the Ohio River. Later, John receives a call from Gordon and rushes to his home to check on him. He finds Gordon outside, dead from exposure. He was outside too much. Ah, his body was just like, go inside, you big dummy. And he was like, no. And so he was dead. Uh, then John becomes obsessed with the being, dubbed Mothman. And he meets an expert on the subject, Alexander Leek, who explains its nature and discourages John from becoming further involved. However, when John learns the governor, Murphy Dunn, played by Murphy Dunn, plans to tour a chemical plant located on the Ohio River the following day becomes convinced the tragedy will occur there. Officer Mills and the governor ignore his warnings and nothing happens during the tour. Soon afterwards, John receives a mysterious message that instructs him to await a call from his deceased wife Mary back in Georgetown and he returns home. On Christmas Eve, 
Officer Mills calls and convinces him to ignore the phone call from Mary, quote-unquote, return to Point Pleasant and join her. Though anguish, John agrees. As John reaches the Silver Bridge, a malfunctioning traffic light causes traffic congestion. As John walks onto the bridge to investigate, the bolts and supports of the bridge strain, the bridge comes apart, and John realizes that the prophesied tragedy on the Ohio River was about the bridge. As the bridge collapses, Officer Mills' car falls into the water. John jumps in after her and pulls her from the river and up to safety. As the two sit on the back of an ambulance, they see that 36 people have been killed, making Connie the number 37 from her dream. The epilogue displays a series of graphics that state the cause of the bridge collapse was never fully determined. It, is also, it also states that, although the Mothman has been sighted in other parts of the world, he was never seen again in Point Pleasant. Spoilers. <laughs> well, okay. First off, causes of a bridge collapse are never not fully determined. It's not <laughs> rocket science. Why does the bridge collapse? Probably because it was a bad bridge. <laughs> it was going to. Like, those those things do happen. Like, there's never, like, why did this bridge collapse? There's always, like, a, oh, this was rusty. This is broken. This shouldn't have been bearing this amount of weight. This shouldn't have been in in this area when there was a giant flood. <laughs> like, there's never, there's never not a reason. Like, physicists have never once been baffled by, A, a bridge, <laughs> or, B, a bridge collapsing. Neither have chemists. <laughs> Neither have biologists, because there's no reason to be. <laughs> it's just a bridge. <laughs> but that's fine. Doesn't mean the Mothman's not real. Just means that bridge, like, you don't need to add an element of mystery to the bridge. <laughs> like, it, it's allowed to collapse. There's no horror behind it. How did this bridge collapse? Well, it was old, and it was really rainy, and the foundations were kind of swept out from under it by a mudslide, and so the bridge fell. <laughs> ah, That's how... <laughs> That's the way it collapsed. That's how most bridges collapse. <laughs> Weather happens. Weather or large trucks. Because <laughs> the roads are not an internet. It's not a series of tubes. It's a large <laughs> truck. Anyway, well, we made it. We did it. We made it through the entirety of Wikipedia to get to the Mouthman Prophecies. Yep. We have done it. That is, uh... Yeah. We finally made it to this movie that got 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it sounds interesting. Roger yeah. Ebert gave it two out of four stars. <laughs> Although it does kind of sound like just one of those generic thrillers. It really does. You know? Yeah. Like It kind of sounds like it could be interesting, but it just sounds like one of those movies that you're like, you enjoy, and it's like, yeah, this is cool. But then afterwards, it's like, you don't really think about it too much ever again. Which I think is exactly what Roger Ebert says in, in, in just slightly different words, <laughs> calling it unfocused and meandering, mm. uh, but with good direction, whose command of the camera, pacing, and overall effect is so good that it deserves a better screenplay. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. It had, it had good functioning components. <laughs> It's just that it was plastic. It was just pastiche on on something that was a very like already told formulaic story. So right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So do we got time for one more, or do we not? Yeah, we got time for one more. We got time for two more. <laughs> See the history of Rotten Tomatoes. Oh yeah, let's do that. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd be a great way to end from mobs. <laughs> From a moth rotten to tomatoes. rotten tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to see how long Rotten Tomatoes has been around. Because I feel like it's pretty recently. Oh. Rotten Tomatoes? 1998. Yeah. So it's still uh, not too early on in the internet. Yeah, days. it's like around when Google was. Yeah. Um, it has dropped in in the Alexa rank to 552. Is the Alexa rank the top-rated internet sites? I guess. Gonna go over there and see how far up porn is really quick. <laughs> because my curiosity that is morbid knows no bounds. 
Ah, global rank for Rotten Tomatoes on Alexa is 619, but in the United Ooh. States, it's 267 because we like our entertainments. Yeah. And we care more about what critics think than other countries do, probably. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Ah, oh, man. It only tells me what Rotten Tomatoes is overall. It doesn't <laughs> give me the whole list of the internet. Shoot. Uh, Dang it. It's going to be Google anyway. <laughs> Google takes you Oh, everywhere. yeah. That's, you know, the homepage of the internet. most things. <laughs> okay, so a little bit of history about Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, you already know what it is. Basically, it's an amalgamation site that reviews things from uh, a com- both professional reviewers as well as an online community. Uh, it brings the two together to help you make a decision on whether or not you want to watch a film, a short film, or a TV show next because of what other people's opinions are. Does that mean that you shouldn't have your own opinion? No, but <laughs> shut up. Anyway. Uh, I've heard it uh, best described as the percentage chance that you will enjoy the movie. That's a pretty good, yeah, because it's like a mathematical like dice roll, basically. Yeah. It tells you like, like what the chances yeah. are. And it is. it was owned by NBC Universal. And which is Comcast, and of course Warner Brothers, which is Time Warner. So the two, <laughs> the two big cable giants in the United States are the two companies which own this. Well, at least we can count on Rotten Tomatoes to always be running fast. That's true. <laughs> They'll be pushed to the front. Net neutrality be damned. Full Rotten Tomatoes ahead. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes was launched on August 12th, 1988, Whoa, <laughs> almost slipped up there, as a spare time project by Sen Dong. His goal in creating Rotten Tomatoes was to create a site where people can get access to reviews from a variety of critics in the United States, and as a fan of Jackie Chan, Duong was inspired to create the website after collecting all the reviews of Chan's movies as they were being published in the United States. The first movie whose reviews were available on Rotten Tomatoes was Your Friends and Neighbors. <laughs> the website was an immediate success, receiving mentions by Yahoo, Netscape, well, there's a name <laughs> I haven't heard in a while, and USA Today within the first week of its launch. Wow. It attracted 600 to 1,000 daily unique visitors as a result, which at the time, <laughs> that, was, that was big yeah. internet bucks right there. And within a week to... Yeah. Get on uh, USA Today. Like, I mean, how do you even find new websites back then without advertisement? I mean, Yahoo was around, so you did have that. But, like, I guess it would have had to have been picked up in film reviews. They still would have been all over the internet. Like, I feel like every. He must have had to have talked about it to a lot of people. Yeah. Some, but he must have had connections somewhere. Like, there's no way that Yahoo would have just been like, hey. (laughs) Somebody just type in, like, film review, and it comes up with Rotten Tomatoes, and they're like, oh, cool. Somebody in a week, like... <laughs> yeah. Or maybe somebody from, like, Yahoo or something that was already tied in found oh, it. yeah. And was like, oh, hey, this is a pretty good idea. And started just sharing it with people and being like, yeah. look at this, guys. And then everybody was, like, sharing it with their friends. And yeah. It could have happened third... It could have been third-party sharing. Yeah, that's true. But I do have a feeling it was, like you're saying, it's just... Somebody, somebody who knew who knew people found yeah. this thing, <laughs> and it took off. Yeah, and he teamed up with uh, University of California Berkeley classmates Patrick Y. Lee and Stephen Wang, his former partners at the Berkeley, California-based web design firm Design Reactor, to pursue Rotten Tomatoes on a full-time basis. They officially launched it on April first, two thousand. So. They launched it in 1998 and then launched it more in 2000? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did they just have like a handful of things in 1998 and then they were like, hey, let's... uh..." Broaden our scope. (laughs) And then they like, you know, just dumped all of their other stuff in 2000 or something. I would guess so. I mean, they probably streamlined everything and made it so that they could start welcoming advertisers or something on October uh, yeah, uh, yeah. April 1st 2000 like 600 to 100 1000 views that doesn't take that much traffic like on in old school internet terms yeah. like that still wasn't like that much media especially when you're just like links to other text basically right but 
um, I guess going public or officially launching it is just like getting a good interface and making yeah. it so that you can handle massive yeah, amounts of traffic, true. that kind of thing. Oh, wow. And then in 2004, IGN acquired Rotten Tomatoes hmm. for an undisclosed sum. And then in 2005, IGN was bought by News Corp's Fox Interactive Media. Um. So, <laughs> so it was NBC Universal, Comcast. Or wait, was that? That's now. Now. Yeah. Okay, so it changed hands from Fox to NBC. Uh, and, but in 2010, uh, IGN was sold to Flickster. And then the combined reached a... Of combined reach of oh my god, the combined <laughs> reach of both companies is 30 million unique visitors a month yeah. across all different platforms, cool. according to the companies. And then in 2011, Flickster was acquired by Warner Brothers. I remember that one. I got so an email about that one. <laughs> Man, that's uh, quite a you know linking ownerships there. Honestly, I feel like. Rotten Tomatoes was sold before its time. Yeah. Like, if that had just, if that guy had just held off a bit longer, that would have been a disclosable sum. Yeah, that's true. I feel like uh, Rotten Tomatoes is a great promotional tool. Like, it's arguably the promotional tool for movies. Unless you're doing bad. Right. Then it's like. (laughs) Well, even if you do bad enough, then it becomes a promotional tool. You get scores like, oh, wow, how bad is it? Is it zero yet? Is it zero? And everybody wants to see if, like, there's that one good review hidden in there, the diamond in the rough. Um, but there's usually not, (laughs) um, still, you know, uh, I think it would have been a really good tool and that if the guy held out and didn't sell to IGN back in the day, you would have heard that number. Yeah. It would have been like, it would have made your nosebleed. Like (laughs) if something like Twitch can sell for, what is it? A couple billion? Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, easily. <laughs> it, it it would sell for the amount of one Age of Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that it's owned by Warner Brothers, and then um, Batman vs Superman gets terrible score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Because like <laughs> the two companies that are rivals to Disney are the ones that own Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> and no DC, no DC things whatsoever ever get like good reviews and heck the one that's owned by the one franchise in marvel that's owned by universal the hulk (laughs) the lowest lowest rated of the entire marvel canon coincidence (laughs) i think not and i'm not sure how that works because it wouldn't make sense (laughs) not for them it's a reverse conspiracy yeah but i guess they can't they can't the the point is they can't control the ratings Maybe they do it deliberately so that they show, like, hey, look, we have this blockbuster. It's failing miserably. Like, now, you, now you have proof. Now you have proof that we aren't, we're not rigging this system. So there. Like they're sacrificing movies just for the sanctity of Rotten Tomatoes. Do they list, uh, what's his face, Armand White on here? Oh, no. He's retired now. Oh, good. That tyrant. Oh, they do. Wait, they do? They do mention him. Armin Two, White. We in January 2010, on the occasion of the 75th anniversary of New York Film Critics Circle, its chairman, Armand White, no. cited Rotten Tomatoes in particular and film review aggregators in general as examples of how the internet takes revenge on individual expression. Wow. He said they work by dumping reviewers onto one website and, assign, and assigning spurious percentage enthusiasm points spurious wow this to guy really does the discrete reviews according to white such websites offer consensus as a substitute for assessment this is the guy <laughs> who is the one reviewer who, who wrote let's let's look it up oh yeah on Rotten we, Tomatoes. we, we just gotta read to. an accurate list of this because this guy <laughs> is if you don't know who Armin White is, it's the guy who has made all the movies that should have been 100% that while you have been yeah. alive. It's like all, all the movies that are 99% that. that you're like, why? There's just one guy that is ruining it. It's, it's him. The, it's this guy. It's Armin White. Armin White agrees with the tomato meter a grand total of 52% of the time. <laughs> 
He just, oh, like, he's hates, back. He hates he retired. everything. He retired for a very long time. But if you look at things like Frost Nixon in 2008, it had 92%. He said, it takes a nincompoop like Howard to imagine depth in this silliness. Okay, so... Um, he apparently gave Batman vs. Superman a fresh review. He's contrarian. <laughs> he agrees when he, he agrees when he shouldn't, or he 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 he, uh, he loves films when he shouldn't, and he hates them when he should. His review of it is: in this age of petty marvels, most comic book movies merely per- perpetrate fantasies of power. But Snyder, enacting his personal aesthetic, braves a film that examines both those uh, examines those fantasies. He boldly challenges popular culture's current decay. Uh, he also has a rotten review for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part <laughs> Two, which has a 96% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, saying that now that the Harry Potter series is over, maybe the truth can be realized. This has been the dullest franchise <laughs> oh in the gosh. history of movie franchises. <laughs> However, every once in a while, he'll agree with Tomato Meter on something. For example... Transformers Dark of the Moon in 2011, which has a 35% in Rotten Tomatoes. Armin White said, by avoiding contemplation about the emotional nature of its clanging, morphing, warring creatures, Michael Bay and executive producer Steven Spielberg accommodate the insensitivity that that characterizes post-9-11 culture. (laughs) Okay, but he gives a fresh review to Fast Five. Yep. (laughs) Sounds right. (laughs) Ah, here we are. There is a 99% rated documentary. Now, if you're familiar with Rotten Tomatoes at all, you know that documentaries, more often than not, are going to score 100% on here, uh, much more often than other genres of film. There are quite a few 100% documentaries. Uh, However, this one is called Bill Cunningham, New York. It has 99% rating. And you know not many people review documentaries because there's very little interest in them. And yet... Here comes Armin White to ruin the 100% rating, <laughs> stating that a less good documentary than last year's more honest and insightful smashed his camera about paparazzo, Ron Galella. So, yep. Can't even do that. Just not allowed. Not allowed to have your, perfe- your perfect 100% movie rating. <laughs> Unless you're the movie Poetry from 2011. Poetry... Uh, actually has 100% in Rotten Tomatoes, and Armin White said, okay, it's a miracle. <laughs> All right, so he gave a rotten review to Inception. His, yeah. his review is, like Grand Theft Auto's oh, quasi-cinematic no. extension of noir and action flick plots, what? Inception manipulates the digital audience's delectation for relentless subterfuge. I think he just likes injecting big words yeah. just to make it sound, sound like, like he's, he's actually like saying criticizing something. <laughs> something about the movie. But he's really not. Yeah. Oh, here we go. The, the one that uh, started it all. Toy Story 3. Yep. 99%, I believe, uh, he is the only person. If I remember correctly. Or if it's still that way. I don't know. There were four. But still, he's... He's one of the problems. Toy Story 3 is so besotted with grant with brand names and product placement that it stops being about the innocent pleasures of imagination, usefulness of toys, and strictly celebrates consumerism. Just, it's... It's not it's, <laughs> at all that. It's a good movie. Probably the best of them. He just hates joy. He does. He just <laughs> wants to crush your soul. And draw your interest to movies that, you know, are ostensibly, there's nothing wrong with them. But (laughs) he loved the movie Jonah Hex, though, from 2010. (laughs) Has a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, he gives it a fresh rating, saying that it reexamines assumptions of good and evil, morality, tale, versus trite entertainment by confronting the hideous compromises people make with social conventions and their own desperation it really does make you begin to wonder 
with reviews like that, whether or not he's even watching movies or if he's yeah. just trying to figure out what big words he can put on a piece of paper after he's out <laughs> of the theater while he's in the he theater. He says a list of big words. Yep. He's like, all he, right. He just what? chooses them, <laughs> highlights them. <laughs> Didn't like the road. Didn't like Iron Man 2. But, I mean, you know, that was pretty divisive. Yeah. He liked... Clash of the Titans from 2010. 28% in Rotten Tomatoes. However, Leterrier certainly shows a better sense of meaningful economic narrative than the mess that Peter Jackson made of the interminable, incoherent Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> I like how he turned a positive review of Clash of the Titans into a subtle, like, diss of the Lord of the Rings franchise at wow. large. Like, what? <laughs> That's almost impressive. That's almost impressive how negative he is. He was just like waiting. He criticizes other films in his reviews. Of yeah, films. Which is, I don't, I, I don't know if that I'm mad about that or if that's actually some level of like evil genius. I think he is an evil genius though. To be honest with you, like he he makes fun of. Uh, he, he makes light of Rotten Tomatoes. He says mm. that Rotten Tomatoes is this amalgamation of scores that uh, somehow subverts real criticism or something. <laughs> oh. And then he goes on to use it as a tool to, like, mess with your mind. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that's, that's unfair. Okay, so you remember how he gave Transformers Dark of the Moon a rotten review. I do remember that. Do you know what movie he gave a fresh review? What's that? Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Are you kidding? Which is even worse That's than Dark of the Moon. That's the one with the pot brownie scene, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and no. his review is, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is f- more proof Bay has a great eye for scale and a gift me? for vis- visceral entertainment. Uh, why? <laughs> when he just like was saying the complete opposite in the other review. Even though the two reviews, honestly, they should be switched, if yes. anything, for those two movies. Without a doubt. Without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. Okay. That's an, oh, I, he gave uh, up. I wish he gave up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I he don't gave know how up you a bad give, review? Yeah, I don't know how you give up a bad what review. What the heck? The, what was his excuse? What was his big words? His <laughs> saved his opinion. For up, all this deflated cinema and Pixarism mischaracterizes what? what good animation can be. Are you kidding? As in Coraline, Monster House, Chicken Little, Teacher's Pet, The Iron Giant. Up's aesthetic failure stems from its emotional letdown. Wait. He liked Chicken Little? <laughs> Chicken Little is a good extension of what animation is, but Up isn't? You wanna, I guess so. Oh, yeah, yeah, you just want to take you just want to take a real normal film and you want to attach a bunch of balloons to a house and have it float away. <laughs> yeah, that's not a medium for animation. What are you talking about? Like, how is he saying, like, oh, I don't like, you know, Pixar, like, they're, you know, like, not emotional or yeah. whatever. Like, uh, did he watch up? Did he not did he, see the first five minutes? Like, did he get to the theater late? <laughs> maybe that's what. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe he like he reviews these be. films that have like all this emotional impact. <laughs> he either cuts out early or he gets in yeah, too late. Like, you know what? If I can't watch half the movie and have a complete review, then screw <laughs> it. I'm looking at bad review. <sighs> okay, okay, Armand White. That's enough of you angering me for now. But I'm glad that the Wikipedia article did give us a link to yeah. you, if for anything, for us to help the internet hate you more. Armand <laughs> <laughs> White. Ruiner. Destroyer. Destroyer of films. Liar. Alright, so there you have it from Charius Pilates to Armand White. Yep. You <laughs> <laughs> probably reviewed the Mothman Prophecies. I think about it. Yeah, you know, he so. probably did. But yeah, um, go ahead and visit Facebook, iTunes, Google Play, go to the website, do all that rating, reviewing, liking, following, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Al Jolson for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Mothman Chronicles. Oh, he's written books. Wait, for real?
like books about how to talk ill of movies. <laughs> he wrote The Resistance, 10 Years of Pop Culture That Shook the World, and Rebel for the Hell of It, The Life of Tupac Shakur. <laughs> um. So, yeah, it's, uh, let's see. White has frequently praised the work of Bay, maker of profitable tentpole films, which over time have gotten more and more negatively reviewed by American film critics. Um, over that of more critically acclaimed art film styled action directors such as Christopher Nolan. Such unconventional critical positions over contemporary theatrical films have earned White the label of a contrarian. <laughs> Going against his movie reviewer peers much, if not most, of the time. For instance, his agreement with the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter, which has aggregates professional and popular film reviews, is currently at 52%. He's a flip of the coin type of guy. <laughs> Doesn't go with the crowd. Thinks yeah. for himself. <laughs> and that makes us hate him. <laughs> Hates Pixar, loves Fast and the Furious and Michael Bay. Except for some of Michael Bay. Because he can't even love all of that. <laughs> even though all Michael Bay is kind of like, you know, if you see Michael Bay, Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he... I feel like... I don't know. Sometimes he goes completely against the grain... Sometimes he kind of goes with the grain. Because, mm. um, like, he hated Watchmen. Yep. But loves Batman vs. Superman. Yep. Like, he'll he'll praise a director's work one time and then completely, like, flop another time. But Just to keep it on it's even like keel. The same, Just like, to keep it on even keel. It's, no. the, it's like, it's not different. Like, it's the same... <laughs> It's the same director doing the same thing. Like, you can't, ca- like, call it out one time and then praise it another time. Unless your opinion changed of the style. Which I guess, but you know. But at the same time, like, I feel like that doesn't usually happen. Uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, he's a music critic, too. Don't do that. Don't don't torture yourself, dude. Don't look at this. <laughs> don't follow the citations, man. Stay away. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> in 1992, he won the 25th annual ASCAP Deems Taylor Award for music criticism <laughs> for his essay on Michael Jackson's black or white video. <laughs> My favorite thing, though, is in January 2014, where he was expelled from the New York film critics circle for allegedly heckling director Steve McQueen <laughs> in an event for the film 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> wow. White maintained his innocence and characterized his expulsion as a smear campaign. White received an anti-censorship award as part of the 35th Annual American Book Awards because of his being unfairly removed from the New York Film Critics <laughs> Circle. This guy just sounds like like he, he does things to make people angry, and they are like, okay, well, you're just trying to make me angry. Yeah. So he, And then whenever people react to him, like, just being, you know... <laughs> inciting of these things he acts he whines until people give him recompense yeah like come on man (laughs) (sighs) oh well yikes what an opinionated person wow forgot how much I hate Armand White. 